Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Hey, everyone. Welcome to show number 50 of the Life as Leadership podcast. If you've made it this far, thank you for sticking with us. And if you're just starting to listen to the show, I hope that you enjoy what you hear going forward. And I encourage you to go back and listen to some of the previous shows because we've talked with a lot of great leaders over these last 50 episodes. Joining me in the studio this week to listen to and discuss our interview are my friends and fellow leaders, Elijah Friedman and Thomas Tubby. But before we get to our intro question, I wanted to let you know about our first giveaway that we're going to be doing on this show. Our guest today is going to be talking to us about leadership and communication, especially as we are early in our careers as young leaders. But he's also written a book on relationships called Adam Meets Eve, Foundations of Love to Last a Lifetime. If you would like to be entered to win a copy of this book, all you need to do is go to some place where you can review the show, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or some other place like that. I don't think you can do it on Spotify, unfortunately. But leave a review make a screenshot of that review, and then send it to community at lifeasleadership.com. So all you need to do to be entered into the giveaway is to leave a review for the Life as Leadership podcast, make a screenshot of it, and send that to community at lifeasleadership.com. And we're going to be announcing the winner of that in two weeks on Friday. So, Let's go ahead and get into our opening question. We're going to be talking a lot about young leaders and the importance of communication and ways to grow your leadership skills early on in your career. So to that end, I'm wondering, what is a unique strength that young leaders bring to the table? Elijah, what do you think? I think one of the one of the things that is universal to young leaders and probably has been for several generations, but I really see it right now, is questioning accepted wisdom. Okay. So seeing something that is or something that's not and just saying why why can't that be or why shouldn't that be changed and young people are really good at this sometimes it it tears things down without building up but often it just leads to new solutions new ways of approaching things yeah. which can really provide a lot of benefit for organizations how about you tubby for me i thought of as you're coming in through your formal education you're usually introduced to new ideas new research that can potentially give new like fresh new ideas for people and for me specifically, I think of uh, with physical therapy yeah. that I'm in, um, we, we're introduced to a lot of recent research on how to treat people um, better. And so I'm getting introduced to ideas that people who were educated 20 years ago haven't been introduced to yet. So I have that opportunity to kind of share new ideas. Which is a good reason to constantly be growing no matter how old you are. And that's going to be something that we're going to hear in the interview today. It's important. Uh, it would be great to, in 30 years, when another generation of, of people are coming into whatever industry that we're leading in, 
to know that type of research already. Well, our guest today started his own leadership consulting company that provides world-class training for media engagement, public relations, crisis planning, public speaking, and leadership improvement. He's worked with nearly every large national and international media outlet and was responsible for media relations in Washington, D.C. during the 2004 Ronald Reagan State Funeral. And he served as the chief media liaison officer for all outdoor games in Beijing for the 2008 Olympics. He led the media training team at the Pentagon for two years and has media trained hundreds of leaders, including White House officials, politicians, military generals, CEOs, communications directors, and nonprofit leaders. He's traveled to more than 50 countries on six continents and speaks multiple languages, and I had a lot more that I had to take out of this bio. But without any further ado, here is Dr. Peter Kerr. Peter, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. So we're actually going to have you on for two different interviews. This week, we're going to be talking about starting out as a young professional and a young leader. And then next week, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to lead organizations. So to start off, I'm wondering, what are some of the most formational leadership experiences that you've had? And also, what is your definition of leadership? Yeah, that, those are both good questions. Let's start with the definition of leadership. I think uh, leadership will never be perfectly defined. Uh, first of all, language is inherently ambiguous. And second, leadership is always about relationship and relationships always change. It's also has to be it has to be adapted to the situation and situations change. So there'll never be one perfect, good, comprehensive definition of leadership. I like what a lot of people have said. You know, Maxwell talks about it being influence. Uh, General Patton once said that leadership is getting people to do what they don't want to do and like it. And and I've always thought that was pretty good unless, of course, you have a lot of motivated followers that, that, that they like what you were trying to lead them to. Um, you know, if I wanted if, – if I could just share maybe my own an original um, definition that's not perfect or even maybe all that good. But it just focuses on a different side that I think leaders need to understand. I would say that leadership is probably basically – uh, being able to make a decision before there's an obvious answer and then being responsible enough to motivate people to see that decision through to a successful conclusion. In other words, anybody can make a decision when you have all the good information, but it takes a leader to make a decision before everybody knows what is the right thing to do and then to take responsibility and motivate people toward that decision's success. So to be a leader, do you have to be able to see things that others don't see or just be willing to make moves where other people aren't willing to make moves? I'm not sure that you have to see what they don't see. A lot of times people see what uh, what the leader sees just fine, um, but they usually have to be able to articulate the future. So a good leader is somebody who has a, a clear understanding of what needs to happen and then is able to articulate that, make it a vision, make it a mission statement, and make people motivated and excited uh, to follow. You also asked about uh, formational experience, I believe. Yeah. Um, I think, in, in truth, there is no substitute for doing. Uh, studies show that 80% of Americans consider themselves leaders, but if you really looked into their lives, I wonder how many of them are doing leadership. Mm. For me, I think the military was was formational. I mean, uh, there you're in charge of dozens, and eventually I was in charge of hundreds of people, and the mission was obviously critical. People's lives were on the line. It's funny because I think my greatest leadership success was when I was actually at the Air Force Academy. Um, I was a summer squadron commander, 
And uh, I was in charge of making the basics, uh, the basic cadets into uh, joining the wing and, and make them good cadets kind of thing. And I, I remember lots of different experiences from that. But one of the things that really hit me was delegate everything you can. Mm. And uh, I think that so many leaders try to take the reins and try to take control and then micromanage things. But the real leaders are the ones who focus on the main product. For me, that was basic cadets. So what I did is I delegated all the fun jobs. I delegated all the authority jobs where you could boss around upperclassmen or other things that people thought was fun. And instead, I went down in the mud with the basic cadets and did the same course training that they did, got yelled at like they did, and led them through their experience. And I think that that's uh, something that I've kept with me my entire life is the, the understanding that uh, most leaders don't delegate enough. Most leaders try to keep what they enjoy rather than keeping what is essential. And I think uh, that was definitely formational for me. So you've continued on. You've done a lot of things, as we just heard in your bio, including starting a consulting business. And a lot of this is you're able to consult and to guide based on your own experiences. But what have you been able to accomplish through your organization, Kircom? Yeah, Kirk Communications does a lot of different things, but I think one of the key things for leaders that it does is it trains them to give them skills that they don't naturally have uh, so they can be better leaders. And I think that would be a really important thing for everyone to understand. Leaders are not just all of a sudden they're great leaders and then they stay that way. Leaders are constantly retraining, retooling, learning all that they can, reading all that they can, and growing. If you're not growing, then you're causing your organization or your people to stagnate as well. And what we've done is uh, trained leaders on how to set vision how to create missions, uh, statements, things like uh, how to talk to the media so that they can project their vision to others and have others join them. I would say that uh, most of our success is in training leaders, giving them tools for their toolboxes to be better leaders. Now, I want to go over some of those toolbox items in just a second. But before we get to that, I also want to ask, in addition to the many other things you've done, you've also taught at the university level. And we're thinking about young leaders now. Have you seen any changes in how young people communicate and perhaps even lead based on your experience over the years teaching at the university level? You know, this might sound kind of negative, but I I do think that they are increasingly less capable because they're less capable of relationships um, and of understanding the nuances of how to motivate people. Um, I'd say this generation is scared to death of the hard sell. They want everything to be a soft sell. And they uh, are not used to being disciplined. They're not used to being rebuked. They're not used to being corrected. Um, and that makes it so that they can't learn as well. Because honestly, you could give me lots of praise, but if you give me uh, a good rebuke that tells me what I've done wrong, I can learn leaps and bounds more from from the negative feedback than I can from the positive. Um, I would say that uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're uh, going to be worse leaders. It just means they're going to be a different type of leader. Um, a lot more of the positive pulling, I guess you could say, rather than pushing people to do things. So Patton's quote uh, goes right out the window there, I suppose. <laughs> um, in general, leadership is not communication, but certainly they are connected skills. And this generation definitely does not have the communication skills, I would say, that even my students 10 or 15 years ago had. 
Uh, so one tip for your listeners would be to consider upgrading your vocabulary. I mean, consider being able to articulate things more precisely. And I would say start with verbs. Um, in many ways, you realize your language is is like your software for your mind. Not only does it help you think well, but it helps you articulate well. And in English, the power of English is definitely in the verbs. So if, uh, if I were a young leader out there, I would start a, learning one new word every day and make it a verb because I think those are the most important. And would you say primarily that's a matter of having some app where you can learn vocabulary? Is it reading more? What would be some of the best tips for how to increase your vocabulary? Yeah, those are both excellent. Do you realize that uh, when you read the speeches from like Abraham Lincoln and others way back in the 1800s, they, they actually people would show up and listen to them talk for an hour and a half to two hours, and they ended up being outstanding speakers. And then I think the people who were listening also grew with vocabularies because of just listening to good speakers. So a uh, good leader definitely needs to read, definitely an app. Uh, I think there's all kinds of tools out there, but people just aren't dedicated to doing it. And it's not something that people think of naturally. Oh, I could be a better leader if I had a better vocabulary. But I really have – I've seen studies that suggest that a better vocabulary actually does lead to a higher income. So there, there's uh, empirical evidence out there that it is a very helpful thing to have. And I think leaders should pursue that in multiple ways. So I want to maybe continue this part of the conversation but also reach back to some of what you do in your consulting. What would be some of the helpful communication models or you had also kind of mentioned skills for your leadership toolbox that you would perhaps recommend to leaders in addition to the vocabulary piece if you were to be consulting a group of younger leaders? Yeah, there are so many things I could say here. I think I'll just focus on one main one, and that is what I call triangulation. A good message has to triangulate three three things. It has to be accurate, brief, and clear, and those are intentionally ABCs. It's the ABCs of communication. When you're speaking, you want to be accurate, you want to be brief, and you want to be clear. The thing is, you cannot perfect one of those without hurting one of the other two. I could be perfectly accurate and not at all brief or clear. Or I could be perfectly clear and not at all accurate. You see how that these naturally have give and take from each other. So what you want to do is triangulate, hit the center of those three things. So when you're creating messages, look at your message and say, can I make it more accurate without sacrificing brevity clarity? Can I make it more brief without sacrificing the other two? Um, and I think if you do that, you'll end up with stronger, much more powerful, much more persuasive messages. So I call it that the ABCs uh, or triangulation. That's a, a great tool to have when you're creating messages. When you're And that, that could be messages that's your mission statement or that could be messages is that you're trying to get something key across to your followers. A second thing that I think people really need to understand is that leadership is not just about being in charge. I, I always said that I should write a book called Leading from Behind because so often it seems like I'm thrown into jobs where I'm the youngest and the least experienced hmm. um, and I'm supposed to lead people who, who know more than I do. Um, what I really, I think, gained from that though is the knowledge that leadership is not standing at the front of the battle and saying charge. Matter of fact, the best leaders are the ones who are strategically behind so that they can adapt to what's going on. And I would say the big thing that they're doing then is, is they're reacting to feedback. That's from a military standpoint, but that also is true in other paradigms. What we want to do when we're leaders is have a two-way flow of communication. Communication is from the leader to the followers, but also essentially is from the followers back to the leader. And a good leader is somebody who uh, understands that feedback, who seeks that feedback, who knows the nuances to glean that feedback even when it's not obvious. As a matter of fact, my career communication symbol is actually a star, but if you look at it carefully, you'll see arrows facing in and arrows pointing out that is what creates the star. So my whole point there is career communications is about two-way flow of information. Two-way flow is essential to good leadership. 
So thinking from the perspective of younger leaders, what are some of those things that you would say tend to inhibit younger leaders from communicating effectively with people who have more experience or are perhaps in other generations? You know, the obvious one would be humility, but I haven't actually seen a lack of humility in the younger generation. Um, I would have to say that that's not one of their failings. I think the younger generation is is fairly humble and fairly respectful. What they're not very good at, I suppose, is actually being more forceful and recognizing that what they have is worthy, is uh, needs to be heard. I've actually seen that more as a problem personally. And I realize that just depends on the situation and the person. I think young leaders need to understand that leadership is not something that you should seek because of the glory. Uh, leadership is, strange enough, a very bad idea. If you really look at it, leadership means serving others more than they're serving you, being capable and then laying down your capabilities so that others can succeed. Leadership is not something that you should be seeking for the sake of seeking glory, because if you do that, you won't be a good leader. Instead, leadership is a giving. And if you understand that, you'll probably be a great leader. So um, I want to go back to this delegation aspect that you've been talking about a little bit. You, you've talked about how you have... Uh, been able to, in your leadership positions, kind of get into the trenches and do some of the dirty work that leaders may not sometimes think to be part of leadership. But that also means that you have to have people out front. So what does it look like to delegate those types of out front positions to other people who aren't leaders? Does that make sense? Yeah. Because um, so, someone has to be out there, right? <laughs> yeah. And yet, no. Um when I'm training people for uh, media communications and we're talking about crisis communications, something bad is happening to a company, I always say that you have to train your vice president, not your president. Why? Because it's much better to have the vice president up there saying bad news than the president so that, because <laughs> the vice president doesn't embody the company. And furthermore, when new news comes out, maybe you've done something even worse than you thought you did or they, uh, there's new stuff and what the vice president said was wrong. Now you have a one up. Then the, then the president can st still step in and you have somebody who's even more influential. So actually there it's essential that the vice presidents are trained, especially to, to deliver the bad news. Um, and that's a position where most people want to be out there out front. It's their company. They're in charge. They want to be the leader and be the spokesperson. And I'm basically saying, no, I want a vice president or somebody who's the number two or three out there out front. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense in, in, in multiple ways. What I mean, if you really think about uh, every position is siloed except the head leader. And now we certainly have much more flatter hierarchies in, in most of our businesses today. But if you think about it, everybody has a job title that basically denotes a silo within an organization. So uh, if you're in charge of operations, you can't mess with the guy who's in charge of research. That's another silo. You don't play in that silo. You play, have to play in your silo, which means the only person in an organization who can actually see the interactions and see the weaknesses between the silos is the leader. And if you're not delegating everything you can, you don't have time to see those. If all you're doing is the pencil whipping and signing of everything, then you don't have time. So what you want to do is clear out the even the decision making as much as possible. Give it to those heads of the silos. And instead, you're the one who's in the trenches walking around seeing the interaction between the different parts, the different components, and making sure that they're well-oiled and, and, uh, and working the way they should. Because the truth is, only the leader has the ability to work between the silos. And hopefully we'll be able to talk about that a little bit more in next week's interview as we're talking about what it looks like to lead an organization. I also want to go a little bit to networking because that's an important part 
of anyone's early career. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tips on how to do that well? Maybe some important things to keep in mind when you are looking to network and and, and become more well-known in whatever area of influence or whatever industry that you're seeking to be a part of? Yeah, that's a great question, Josh. I think uh, networking is essential. It's an essential skill for for leaders. And uh, I used to teach, maybe it's irreverent, but I used to teach a class called Schmoozing 101. Mm. Uh, when I went to, uh, I, I'd take students to New York and for, I don't know, two hours, we'd go to Central Park and I'd tell them how to schmooze. And then I'd uh, that night, we'd go to an event where they had to get business cards of other people that had to put into practice what, what I taught them. And it, some of them were very successful. So here's a few tips, I suppose. Uh, number one, don't go cheap on your business card. Your business card really does identify who you are and gives the quality of your organization. So I would get a professional designer. My brother designed mine. But a few things, it's got actually uh, rounded edges. Two, two edges are rounded, which sets it apart from others. One side is just about the logo and the, the appearance. The other side has data on it. But a good, well-designed uh, card is very helpful because then you're proud to give it away. That also gives you um, – naturally would give you some confidence as as you're out there trying to network. Um, Some other things, when you're trying to network, ask questions. Most people think that what they're trying to do is talk a whole lot and make a connection somehow or impress somebody by their talking. And that's the exact opposite. What you want to do is ask questions, let the other person talk until there is a clear point where you can say, oh, there's a connection. And then you mention the connection. And it's best if you mention the connection in a story form rather than just saying, oh, I was there too. Instead, you tell a mini story because a story will give a little bit of your personality and will help them uh, remember who you are. So um, also who you you connect with. If you're at an an event and you look around and nobody's trying to connect with you, there's probably a lot of other people who look pretty lonely there. So why not go up to them? They're the right people. Don't, you don't have to um, schmooze the person who's on stage. I found it very helpful to talk to their assistant when everybody else was mobbing the the person who was on stage or their wife was actually often very helpful too. Hmm. And I'd make a connection there instead of with the, uh, the main event, I suppose. Um, ask questions. Like I said, the big thing you can ask, you know, not just what do you do for a living, but what, what attracted you to this event or, um, ask their advice about something. People love giving you their advice. Ask them what's their, what are they most passionate about? Um, what do they do for fun? Um, what would they like to do someday? Those kinds of future questions that are not too very personal, but personal enough that, uh, you might be able to find a connection. So the biggest tip for networking is asking good questions. Any tips? I know this is a very communication-specific thing right here. Any tips on concisely telling an engaging story? Oh, well, um, yeah. The the tip here is practice. People act like they can just uh, whip out a, a, a concise story and that it's going to be really easy to, to tell. But the truth is the story that you've told 20 or 30 times to your friends, to your family, that's probably your best story. So use that one and then condense it down and see if it's accurate, brief, and clear. <laughs> um, and and I would say that uh, you have to practice if you're actually going to give a good story. And yeah, you should have an elevator speech about what you're trying to do or what you're trying to promote. Be strategic in what you're doing. But I don't think that uh, when, it, when it comes to first meetings with people, it's not the time to ask them for something. It's the time to make a relationship so that you can ask them for something later. It's also the time to figure out what they want. So I've made relationships with people and figured out, oh, this guy was really interested when I talked about, say, quantum physics. And then I would send them a book on quantum physics. Hmm. And now I've got a connection. Now I've got, uh, they're really grateful. They think that they must have impressed me because I sent them a book and I have an open door to ask for a favor back. Uh, Whether that's, you know, it could be a contact that's worth a lot more than the book that I sent them. So figure out what they like and then see if you can meet their needs. And if you're meeting their needs, 
uh, it'll almost always reciprocate. They'll meet yours too. You don't want to just interact with people because of what they can give you, obviously. And, and you mentioned giving to other people first. I'm wondering, when do you figure out when it's worth it to give a gift like that book you just mentioned? Is that something you try to do fairly frequently or is that for a very specific or special occasion when you're trying to build a specific relationship with an individual? I'm at the place in life now where I have enough money that I can give a 10 or $15 book to people without it hurting too bad. I remember the days when I wasn't there and <laughs> then you have to be a little bit more strategic with it. My honest opinion from where I am right now in life is give a book anytime you can recognize that they want one. Uh, give a, you know, figure out what it is they need or what they want. If it's tickets to something, my, my goal is to make a lot of contacts, people who, um, who I could then ask for favors as well. And I think that uh, usually, um, it pays off and it's not always just about looking for a payoff. It's about making a relationship and a connection. And then I trust that eventually there could be something that would pay off. You know, one other thing I, I thought of as you were talking is a tip. It would be, um, and it, it's really served me well is I read, I, we have four kids and I read, I read a whole lot of books on baby names. And what I found was I ended up knowing where names originated and what names really meant hmm. of a whole lot of people's names. And so while I was schmoozing, I can say, Oh, your name is, you know, Philip. That means lover of horses. It actually is Greek. Did you know? And I can talk to the person about it. Um, and I know a whole lot of names and where they're from. And that's like being able to give something to somebody when people don't know what their name means or where it originated from. They're pretty excited about hearing uh, that. So that's just a, maybe a, a skill that other people might want to pick up too, because it certainly has, has served me well when I was trying to make connections with people. Yeah, that's a, a really neat idea that I never would have thought of, but it seems like it's relatively simple, at least for common names. You know, go ahead and memorize 20 names or something like that and have those in mm -hmm. your back pocket. Yeah, and it also helps you remember their name. So it's it's multiple uses there. Yeah. So another area is is self-leadership. Young leaders want to begin setting themselves apart, not not in order to push other people down, but because they have things they want to do with their lives and they don't want to just blend in with the rest of the crowd. So when it comes to self-leadership, do you think that this is the same thing as self-discipline or do you think that these are, are different things? And how do you develop self-leadership in your life? You know, I think that you probably could split some hairs and make a difference between the two. But for my purposes, I would say self-leadership and self-discipline are pretty much the same thing. Um, I define discipline as denying the self in the present for future gain. Uh, I told one student that once and they went and, uh, and put it everywhere and made uh, people in a club memorize it and scream it through the, the campus. But <laughs> it was kind of funny. Uh, but it's so true. Think about it. Denying of the self in the present for future gain. Um, and I think that that is certainly uh, probably the key quality in a leader. If you're in a room and you have to decide who's going to be your leader in that room. There's two things that you're going to look for. Number one is that somebody has the qualities that are going to assist you to make accomplish whatever goal it is. And the person who has those qualities probably had to have self-discipline to get those qualities. They had to not go play the video game or not go sleep extra, but instead do something to gain those skills. So it was self-discipline that gave them those skills. And the second thing you'd be looking for is that they would be self-disciplined enough not to just serve and aggrandize themselves, but rather to lay down their skills for the benefit of the group. And that would, again, would take self-discipline, wouldn't it? So in a way, self-discipline is the, the main thing that you'd be looking for when you're looking for a good, a good leader. And as I mentioned earlier, people need to realize that self-discipline – it's not fun and it leads to good leadership, but leadership itself is service. It is uh, laying down your talents, your skills, your abilities for others. I kind of liking it to love. I think there's a lot of connections. People always want to be in love, but to love means to put somebody else in front of yourself. 
<laughs> so it's actually insane to be want to be in love, um, and yet you get enough out of it that it, it's a beautiful thing. And I think leadership's the same way. If you are self-giving, uh, you'll also end up receiving more than you give. But you need to be the person to to to, to lead means to serve, outserve everyone else. And I want to actually get to the topic of love in just a second because you've actually written a book on romantic relationships. And so you have some good insight to offer here for young leaders. But before we do that, based on your own leadership roles and experiences and also as you've looked at the lives of others, what do you think young leaders can be doing to make the most of these early stages of their lives and careers so that they can develop that self-discipline in their own lives? Just practices and and ways to organize their lives to make the most. Yeah, I've already mentioned that you have to constantly be learning. So of course, there's that component that you should be uh, reading the right things, not just fiction, but a lot of nonfiction, trying to understand the way the world works and the way people think. And um, there's always good books out there uh, to learn from those. But I would say the main thing is probably to exercise that self-discipline muscle. That could be done in many different ways. I think working out is a way. Uh, you have to be disciplined to work out. It could be denying yourself uh, extra sleep. It could be denying yourself extra food so that you are uh, fit, those kinds of things. There's so many ways that you can practice or put discipline into your life, um, making patterns that are self-beneficial and uh, create growth. Uh, I think it's interesting if you look at uh, some religions like Christianity, a lot of what they do, uh, they have tons of disciplines to make the person disciplined so that eventually it could be called a disciple. So they do stuff like fasting and they do um, meditating and reading and all kinds of things. And it's because they want to be disciplined enough I really think that that's the root word of the word disciple. So um, another thing you can do is start leading now. I mean, it's not just a matter of uh, self-discipline, but also lead in small things, and it leads to bigger things. Uh, you can join civic groups. You could you know, start start uh, some sort of a, a reading group or a Bible study or volunteer at a nonprofit. Um, if you take responsibility and you outserve others, you'll find that you're leading in no time. There, there is no uh, shortage of places where you can lead. Um, and I think the key is to start doing something and you'll start gaining those skills. And really, since leadership is so relationship uh, oriented, all this book knowledge is great, but you're going to have to pair that with people knowledge and skills and then also with uh, with head knowledge and skills. So as I just mentioned a second ago, you've written a book on romantic relationships called Adam Meets Eve, Foundations for Love to Last a Lifetime. I'm wondering what do you think men and women should be thinking about as far as romantic relationships go in their own lives? Yeah, that's a big question. That can, uh, yeah, just take a long time to quickly to answer, conclude the interview today, thoughts. what do you think? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no kidding. Um, well, let me just say this. I think too often we try to fool people into loving us. So uh, we practice dating by being someone we're not, uh, trying to impress someone we don't even know. And, and I think that the bottom line is that you have to become somebody who's worthy of dating if you want to attract somebody who is worthy of dating. So you have to store up a huge amount of ability to give love, and then you'll be lovable yourself. Um, you can read a whole lot more, of course, in the book about different things, about what men and women are really looking for in a relationship or what questions you should ask on dates, what birth orders are most compatible. There's all kinds of great science out there and hundreds of tips in that book, Adam Meets Eve. Uh, but thanks for asking about it, Josh. That was really cool of you. 
Well, we usually have a list of questions that we ask that are meant to inspire us toward better leadership. We're actually kind of running out of time today, so I'm going to push this off until next week. But thank you so much for joining us this week. And before we go, where can people go to learn more about you and your work if you have piqued someone's interest in our interview today? Yeah, I'd love them to stop by currcommunications.com on the web, and they can read all about the different things that uh, the business does there. All right. Well, Peter, we're looking forward to having you next week. Thanks. I've enjoyed it. I look forward to it as well. I hope you found today's interview valuable. We'll be back on Friday to discuss the interview and share some of our key takeaways with you. If you want to share some of your own thoughts on what you heard today, or if you want to leave other feedback for the show, email us at community at lifeasleadership.com. And if you think today's interview could be helpful to someone else who cares about becoming a better leader, go ahead and share it with them. Until next time, keep living and leading. Well, hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.